Amen. Thank you. Office can be dismissed. Uh, would you mind turning to Acts chapter 15 this morning as we continue in our study? Uh, and when you turn there, uh, please stand for the honoring of the reading of the scriptures together. Acts chapter 15, we'll start in verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had snow, not snow, had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know what in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth the Gentiles that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. And now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Father, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you for this chapter. God, would you help us to see and believe more of the grace of the Lord Jesus that saves us as your people. And God, would you help us to live in light of that. God, we thank you for your gift of faith that you have given to us that we might worship you. And we get to do this together. So would you speak through my mouth this morning for your people. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. On September 1st, 1983, some of us were not born. I was. Just want you to know that. Korean Airlines flight 007 left Anchorage, Alaska on its way to Seoul, South Korea. But after a navigational error, 10 minutes after that flight took off, intending to go at 220 degree degrees, it went at 245 degrees, and the plane found itself over Soviet airspace. After some warning shots, the plane was shot down with 269 souls aboard by the Soviet military. A slight deviation led to a drastic ramification 
resulting in what could have been an avoidable death for a lot of people. And I'm surprised, as maybe you are this morning, that a war didn't break out. But that's another topic for another time. But as we look at Acts chapter 15, division in the church can have a drastic effect. Sometimes division seems very slight and small and insignificant, and sometimes it can lead to death. Last year, for example, 25% of all churches in the United Methodist denomination left their denomination. Over 7,000 churches because the denomination was allowing certain privileges to and affirming homosexual marriage. It caused the greatest schism in the history of the church in our country. In our denomination, many people today wait for June when our denomination has another meeting to decide what we will do as a denomination related to women as pastors. Churches divide over abortion and gender roles, worship styles, spiritual gifts, modes of baptism, politics, and the list keeps growing. We would agree that some of those things that I even listed are a big deal. But churches also divide over the color of the carpet or style of music. I thought about I should probably put some blinds up pretty soon because the turkeys are out and they're going to distract you. They're silly things that churches do divide over. So the question before us, church, this morning is should churches divide? How firm should our convictions be? Are the churches in our area that we are not part of, are they in sin? I think Acts 15 will show us some things are worth dividing over. And some things aren't. It all starts with some men from Judea. They want Christians to believe that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And this caused, as we see in verse 2, a large disagreement. In verse 7, a great debate. But in Acts 2, 38, if you remember, as we started back in the fall, Peter affirmed what one must do to believe. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But these Judaizers who have come from Judea into this church, they want to require more. Follow the law of Moses. Most importantly, be circumcised, men, for salvation. You Gentiles, you must become Jews to be saved. The law required it, so we're going to require it, so you must affirm it, and we will hold you to it. It's a big deal. Church doesn't go to social media. They don't go to the town office. They don't go anywhere except they go to their leaders. They keep the debate internal. They have a meeting to discuss what is taking place. Together as God's people, they go to the scriptures. What does God's word tell us to do? 
And we have the leader, Peter. He gets his last hurrah in the book of Acts. He brings his leadership to the situation. The one who affirmed those requirements back in chapter 2, he reaffirms the same standard. Salvation is for Jew and Gentile. And in verse 7 to 9, hear the gospel, Jew and Gentile. God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Jew and Gentile. Believe that gospel, Jew and Gentile. Receive the Holy Spirit, Jew and Gentile. There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. God's word, church, corrects us. It trains us. It teaches us. God's word has been entrusted to us as his people, as a church, part of the church, to obey it without hesitation. Peter doesn't go back and say, well, we've done this for a long time. He says, no, the Bible tells the church to do and live a certain way. It's the law, church, that shows us our need for salvation. The Bible, the law is not irrelevant, but the law does not save us. It cannot. We need the gospel. The Jews needed Messiah Jesus. So Peter says, the same is true of the Gentiles and all Christians, including you and I here today. Faith alone, in Jesus alone, by the grace of God alone, as revealed in Scripture alone, is the means of salvation for the glory of God alone, for Jew and for Gentile. We see in verse 11. The church needs to decide. They need to come to a conclusion. They must address these guys from Judea who have come in and shrieking, seeking to divide the church. It's a big deal. It's a matter of slight deviation that can lead to drastic ramifications, even death. And so they make a decision. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God has done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, after this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will build its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of God, mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from all that has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses had had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. 
And so we see the leadership of the church. Paul joins Peter, or Peter is joined by Paul and Barnabas and James, the brother of Jesus. And these leaders together, they affirm what the scriptures say. They say, church, don't let these extra biblical, these things outside of scripture come in to circumvent and change what the Bible reveals to us to do. The scriptures are clear. Nothing, nothing more and nothing less should be required than faith. Faith and salvation is even for those who look different than us who talk different than us, who act different than us. This is James's judgment we see in verse 19. He references the word that is used in the Old Testament for the people of God, historically only used for the Jews. James says it's God's plan for one people, all who believe. Jew and Gentile to be part of one people of God. We are at the precipice of the book of Acts. The gospel has advanced every week that we have been going through this series in spite of difficulties from within the church and persecution and difficulties from without the church and in face of the challenges, God's word and God's sovereign hand will and do prevail. It's been modeled now for 15 chapters. We should have great confidence in what God is trying to do in this book. And it will continue to reverberate as we finish our study. But at the end of the reading that I just did, they give some requirements. Right? I thought you said that there's not to be any additional requirements than to have faith alone in Jesus. Believe alone, but they say abstain from these other things. What's up with that? Well, it says to abstain from food offered to idols, from, sexuality, or from sexual immorality, from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. And what this is doing is James is saying, hey, church, live like the church. And this list of sins are ways that the Gentiles would worship in their cults, in their other forms of worship. And what they're trying to do here is to say, leave those former ways of worship behind and worship the God of the Bible as the Bible tells us to do. Leave those sinful worship practices. Believe in Jesus alone, both Jew and Gentile, in response to the salvation that God has earned for you. Respond in holiness. Not to achieve salvation, but in response to what God has already achieved for us. We've seen that division within the church could be significantly dangerous. These Judaizers were steering this plane off course towards the church's death. And I bet the 267 folks, assuming that there were two pilots on that plane, would have done whatever they could to break into the cockpit saying, you're going off course. Please turn us around so that we may live. And Paul records these events in Galatians chapter 1. Let me read it for you. If you want to turn there, you can. But in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, Paul says this, addressing what is going on in 
this church. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to another gospel. Not that there is another gospel, he says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. A, a word anathema you've probably heard before. As we have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul is being adamant. There is nothing that should be added or taken away from the means of salvation in Jesus Christ alone by faith alone. There is one gospel, and to promote any other gospel is a serious offense. Some deviations lead to death, and they lead to hell. Paul doesn't want the church in Galatia to do that, to go down those paths. The church needs to hear that some things are worth drawing a line in the sand. They cause great division, and so the church should maintain unity about what is of utmost importance. Look at verse 22, how they respond. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who were of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have therefore sent, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it was good, or it seemed good, to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled and from sexual morality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after that, they had spent some time. They were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord. Friends, the gospel is believing in Jesus alone for salvation. The gospel is revealed in Scripture alone, to be believed by faith alone, as a gift of grace alone, for the glory of God alone. If you hear otherwise, church, steer clear. Run, flee. Find a church that is going to maintain fidelity to what the Scriptures call us to do. 
If you're not a Christian this morning, if you don't believe that, today is a great day to repent and believe it. I can't move on without saying that. The early church, they send a message to the church, an articulation of the scriptures, an affirmation by the Spirit, an assertion from the church, this is what we are called to believe. And they get back to business. They rejoice in 31. They encourage and strengthen each other in 32. And they have peace among themselves in verse 33. Back in Acts chapter 4, the early church affirmed that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12 If anyone preaches another gospel... Other than that, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Don't deviate by one degree. Steer clear. There are, church, there are things the church should avoid dividing over. The gospel. We exist because of that. But Luke records next some things that aren't a big deal that the church can divide over in 36. Even though it may seem significant, not everything leads the church off course. Look at verse 36. And after some days, Paul and Barnabas, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The gospel message to all, Jew and Gentile, has been affirmed. And so they say, let's get back on mission. Let's go. Let's tell people more of this good news. And Barnabas wants to take his cousin, John Mark. But back in chapter 13, we see that Mark abandoned them in Pamphylia. And that dissension in verse 2, the great debate in verse 7 is contrasted here in verse 39 with a sharp disagreement. But the church, as we see in this ending passage, the church affirms, go separate ways. Mom and dad aren't sitting here like separating, bickering children, like one of you on the couch, one of you upstairs to your room. The church is saying it's okay to go to two separate ways, to divide and multiply the mission. Now, with two teams, with one message of salvation, to go and strengthen and build more churches. They're on the same team, but they go different directions. Life and death, the gospel, we must get that right. But insignificant things, it's okay to agree to disagree. 
taking away or adding to the gospel, that could lead to life or death. But if you want to separate into two teams, it'll be okay. Some things aren't worth dividing over. But we often get that backwards, don't we? Often it's those minor disagreements that divide churches. If not addressed, it could facilitate bitterness, animosity could rise up, could turn into hatred for others. And friends, our enemy, Satan, he loves that. Division in the church is often spiritual warfare. And so as we close up, I'm reminded of a, or I was reminded of an article that Al Mohler wrote about 20 years ago. He wrote an article about theological triage in the church. And triage was a sorting tool that became very popular during World War I of how to help doctors and nurses care for the injured. There were three categories. First, it was a category of those who will likely live, regardless of the care, and so they would say, those folks, they'll be fine. The second group was those who were unlikely to live, regardless of the care that they were given, and so they would try to make their lives and their end of their life as gentle and peaceful as they could. But then there's the third category. There's those that are in desperate need of care. And if they don't receive it, they would die. But if they do receive it, they would likely live. And so, of course, right, in World War I, they would focus on those who were desperately in need of care. That's how they did triage. And so we're going to consider three areas of triage and differences within the church theologically based on Al Mohler's article that will help us, I think, make decisions moving forward. Tier one theological issues are doctrines most central to Christianity. Like, to not believe these doctrines means that you're not a Christian. Like, that is of first importance. That was what was happening with these Judeans who came in to the church in the first century. The church must get these things right and no heresy when it arrives. These doctrines are required for salvation. The doctrines like Jesus is truly God and truly man. The gospel is good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Not believing the gospel means you're not a Christian. First order doctrines include things like scripture that is infallible, that it is errant, inerrant, that it is true and that we should follow it. Or Trinity, there's one God, there's three persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. All three are God, but there is one God. We'll have a teaching time on, I'm sure, on that one day. In our members class coming up shortly, we will focus on these things most intensely because that's what dictates who we are as a church. Where God covenants with us and we covenant with him. First tier doctrines are things that we will divide over. If someone preaches another gospel, if someone says that these things aren't true, we will say, no, you're wrong. If you're not a member, we'd encourage you to join us for that class. I'll give you three quick examples 
of these so-called Christians in our world today that get first-order doctrines completely wrong. First is Mormons. Mormons deny that Jesus eternally existed. They deny that the atonement of Jesus on the cross paid for sins. They believe the Father, Son, and Spirit are each a God, not God. Worse of all, they believe that man can become God. Let that teaching be accursed. Second, Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe the Spirit is an impersonal force like electricity. For them, Jesus isn't God either. Rather, he's the archangel Michael before creation, not eternally existing. It's anathema. Let it be a curse. They believe that Jesus was created. Third, Catholics. Getting a little closer to home. Emphasize the Pope's words on par or above the scriptures. Like the other two, they require works for salvation, distorting justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And all three examples that I give you are anathema, accursed. We divide over certain things. Some doctrines lead to death. Mormons, Catholics, Jehovah's Witnesses, they may be good people, but they're not teaching proper doctrine. So they're not good people. We might love them. We might like to hang out with them. We might agree on a lot of other things, but they are teaching false doctrine. Being a good person doesn't bring salvation. So steer clear of their teaching and their doctrine. It leads and navigates towards death. Okay, I got that. But what about the division between Paul and Barnabas? There are things that we can disagree on, right? Division, in some sense, seems to be permitted here in the text. And this is where I think second-level triage, the second tier, becomes important. We pray for a lot of churches every Sunday, right? We prayed for Valley Bible Church down in White River Junction this morning. We aren't against them, but we're not the same church, right? We're different, not only geographically, but they have their own elders, they have their own members. Second tier triage particularizes a particular church and shapes how that particular church functions. For example, based on our interpretation of scripture, we don't baptize infants. We baptize professing believers. We believe elders are qualified men only. We believe that God is sovereign over salvation. Our theology affects our practice. If we teach that God potentially saves, wouldn't our endurance and perseverance be potential as well? We believe the Bible is clear, but it also gives us confidence to put forth grace-driven effort in response to our salvation, not to save us. This church did that, we see in Acts 15, calling the Gentiles to stop worshiping their, in their own former practices. And this is, I think, where churches can divide. 
Not every church is for every person. Some leave churches for personal preferences. Some of you have come to this church for personal preferences. But the problem becomes when the churches overemphasize those second-tier things over unity of the universal church. We want to emphasize what God emphasizes, the gospel. But we also don't want to be shy of what sets us apart as a church. We don't want to be arrogant about it. But I think you want me to be confident. You want our leaders to be confident in shepherding and leading you in the ways that we sense God is calling us. We desire to worship God together, to submit to the scriptures together, to call other disciples to join us, to believe this gospel, and let's go live how God has called us to live. Some of you may one day leave this church. Maybe you won't come back after this Sunday. I don't know. If you do, would you let us help you find a church that emphasizes first-tier doctrines? Please, don't go down a path of navigation that leads to death. What about third-tier doctrines? We're not going to talk about much of those. Those are things like eschatology, the study of the end times. Christians have been disagreeing on these things for 2,000 years. But even more so than tier two doctrines, churches love to fight about tier three doctrines. And they have no implications for how one is saved. But they dictate a lot in how churches function. Friends, let's maintain unity about what matters most. Paul and Barnabas, they don't go to social media rejoicing at their division. Can you believe Barney? He didn't want to go with me. He wanted to ditch me for his cousin. Can you believe Paul? He's such a fundamental Pharisee. This is cancel culture if we were to do it that way in the early church. We didn't cancel. We don't cancel each other, friends. We don't cancel Barnabas' future. Remember his past, okay? If we were to survey the book of Acts, which we will right now, he showed up in Acts 4. He sold all of his possessions to give to the church. In chapter 9, he welcomed in Saul, the former Pharisee, the former enemy, the murderer of the church, to become part of the church family. In Acts 11, he came and he unified the church. And he just with Paul in chapter 15 conveyed what is of first and utmost importance for the church's navigation in the future, the gospel. Barnabas is a good guy. Just went a different direction. But so is his cousin Mark. Paul doesn't hold a grudge against Mark. We don't need to cancel Mark based on his track record in the past, just like we don't cancel Barnabas because he's moving forward in a different direction. Consider Paul's words in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 4, verse 11. This is what Paul says to Timothy. Luke alone was with me. He wrote Acts. Paul says this. Get Mark. Bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. We know the reasons for the division, right? And we also know Paul's affection for his brother in Christ. 
in Mark. Paul doesn't view Mark as a means to an end, but an integral part of the mission of God as a partner in the gospel. Mark wrote one of the gospels. He's not disqualified from this. Church, let's maintain unity on what is most significant. Let's maintain unity related to the gospel, the person and work of Jesus, God himself, the scriptures. Diverting from that which is of most importance leads to death. And this is why we rejoice at the opportunity to partner with other churches like Red Door for our sunrise service on Easter or East Randolph as we do Good Friday service together with them. We are on the same team with them. We look different, but we are gospel partners. Seven years ago, East Randolph divided. If you're familiar with the story, we should be very grateful. They divided so that this church would exist. Disagreement didn't cause them to say, well, let's send some of those troublemakers down the road. But oftentimes, churches are planted out of disagreement. I don't like what that leader's doing. I don't like what those elders did. I want to go start my own church. And even tier two things didn't cause Cornerstone to be planted by East Randolph. It was tier one that East Randolph believed in the gospel so much that there were people in this area who needed to hear the gospel, some of you in this room, to become part of the church. Tier one divisions lead the church like that 007 flight. I tried to think of a joke for 007, but it's not worth it. Let's not get too bent out of shape, though, in the snacks on the plane. Like, are they salted peanuts or are they honey roasted peanuts? They're bigger fish to fry. Let's make sure we stay on course with the purpose that God has given us in the scriptures. I could drive home, you could drive home to, after the service probably a dozen different ways. Some of them could be long ways to drive. Maybe some of them are dumb ways to drive, like a class four road today probably is not a great idea. Maybe you like seeing the snow melt or sticks. I'm kind of tired of it myself, but that navigation wouldn't be a big deal, would it? It might not be ideal, but it's not going to lead to death. Just stay off that class four road. But if you navigate to another house, it could be a big deal. If someone who's married goes and deviates off course to another house, a house that doesn't have their spouse in it and stays there, it could be really bad. None of us would say that's a great idea. Some navigation could be disastrous. And so church, your elders, by the grace of God and the help of God, we will do our best to lead you and navigate towards that which provides life with the gospel being central. We will protect the church from disastrous peril by the grace of God. But you have a role too in this. In Acts 15, the whole church helped to protect itself. In our text, the vision of the church is observed the division of the church is addressed, and the, in the end, unity is maintained by the church. Let's be that sort of church. Let's be the sort of church 
that is for the area in which we live in, even with other churches to partner with. Some slight deviations aren't a big deal. Without the church surveying the scriptures and the leaders of the church caring enough to say, don't go down that path though, it could be a big deal. So we don't want to go down that path of destruction. Father, we thank you for this word. But God, as we even consider many of the things that are said this morning, the ways that the church can or should or even shouldn't divide, God, we ask for your help. God, would you help us to major in the major things, not major in the minor things. God, would you provide an utmost amount of unity in this church centered around what is revealed in Scripture, the gospel of your Son, who came to die for sinners like me and those who are here with me this morning, who died in our place on the cross for our sins, who was buried, and after three days he rose from the dead to give us newness of life. God, we pray that you would help us to remember that, to live in light of that, to maintain unity because of that. And as the early church was admonished by Jesus, that the world around us will know that we are your disciples because of our love for one another. So would you help us to do that? For your name's sake and for our joy. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.